up? What up? What up? <laughs> Welcome back to Between Two Posts. It is Thursday, July. Ship. Dun, 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 dun. Um, what day is it? Two days from today. The second. Second. Of July. Of July. Close to the fourth. America's birthday. Um, pretty excited, Ev. This weekend is Roller Hockey Nationals, so if uh, any of the listeners are going to be in the beautiful, sunshiny state of Florida, be sure to come say hi. I'll probably rep some BTP swag. Absolutely, buddy. Where is it at? It's in Wesley Chapel, so like Tampa area. So if you're A, a roller dad, or B, you're uh, in the Wesley Chapel area, Tampa area, and you're looking to see some roller hockey or watch Kyle Conan snipe uh, back bar south, you know, six to seven times in a weekend, head out there. Go go check it out. It's going to be called Tours Roller Hockey Tournament. It's a pretty big one. Yeah. So good luck to you in that one, and have fun sitting inside during those beautiful days on the 4th of July. I will be up north. but Yeah, well. It's not too bad down here. We got some AC. But uh, today on the pod, we have the founder of Vaughn Custom Sports. The founder, CEO, president. Actually, you know who's CEO? It's not Mike. It's his wife, Arlene. He says really? it all the time. Really? She runs the show. Well, she makes the decisions for him. Uh, so as much as he wants to be the CEO, Arlene's boss. And we all know um, that in the office. So The president of the company. Wow. Exactly. Um, but... President of the company, president of the family. But with that being said, today marks the one-year anniversary since Mike's heart surgery. So in celebration of that, we were able to snag an interview with the big guy and get him rolling and kind of pick his brain over his history and what he's done with his company and where things are going. So we're really excited to present that to you guys. Um, leave any comments, questions below, and we can always get those answered by Mike uh, moving forward. So we hope you guys enjoy this one. Kyle, you got anything else? Uh, I mean, if you're a gearhead or, or like the kind of behind the scenes look at goalie equipment, this is a unreal podcast to listen to and just to kind of hear, you know, from from Mike himself. So I mean, toss the, it the, over to him. The craziest part, real quick before we do go, is it's uh, this is a guy who started in a garage. He started in his parents' garage building chest protectors. Now we have two factories that employ over 40 to 50 people per factory and we make hockey equipment for goalies nationwide worldwide excuse me it's not just here in the u.s it's not just in canada and north america but you see people wearing stuff all across the nation whether it's the khl europe there's kids over in korea and china that are wearing it i've seen pictures uh, that we get tagged in like it's incredible that it's just a guy that started this out of his um garage his parents house in Pontiac Michigan which was a tough part of town at the time (laughs) and now you see what we have and when you look at the landscape of industry today there's not too many companies that are in the NHL that are across the globe and are ran by a single man or family so I some of the best goalies in the world are wearing it so very fortunate to be able to work for the company and you know very fortunate that we were able to put this podcast together and partner with them so let's send it over to michael vaughn today between two posts he's 510 from the hard streets of pontiac michigan welcome to the podcast mike vaughn hey guys mike how are you i'm good how you doing good just staying safe staying clean enjoying uh enjoying the lockdown you know 
just trying to stay a little bit busy, getting orders in, getting things done. Same old, same old. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you founded Vaughn Custom Sports and you're, you know, the man behind the curtain, we'll say. How how did it all start? What's the the, the story behind Vaughn Custom Sports? Um, you know, I played hockey as a kid and um, back when I was playing, the equipment was quite a bit more archaic than what we see today. And, um, you know, you tended to get uh, hurt a little bit more because of the lack of protection. Like, for example, the iron pads back then did nothing much more than kept you warm. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so, you know, you, you played the game a lot different uh, from a defensive strategy to try to keep from getting hurt. For example, you used your hands a whole lot more rather than let the puck hitch in the upper body or the head. Um, you just had to, it was survival. And, um, I was just always curious about equipment and product. And, you know, I, as a hobby, I got into repairing equipment, you know, my own at first and then equipment for others. And after you work on kind of old equipment for a while and get tired of the smell, you kind of start thinking, I think I can make a better one. And that, that's really how it all got started. Now, Mike, did you start that out of Pontiac? Were you yes. living out there that time? Yeah, I lived in Pontiac, um, and that's where I originally started making gear. And um, back then, it was a lot different than it is today. I mean, you didn't have the resources available on the computer to find materials and products or, you know, YouTube videos or information. You had to do a lot more research, you know, to try to find materials and such. So it, it you actually ended up at the library of all places that do a lot of research like that. So I don't even know if those exist anymore. <laughs> Somewhere they do. <laughs> um, so were you were you still playing when you started getting into making your pads? Um, yeah, I was playing a little bit. Okay. Did you have any like sweet setups you that you really liked um, or any that stood out to you? Um, you know, I would always test, you know, everything when I first would come out with it and play with it a little while. And, um, you know, the, the first product that I ever designed was, you know, an arm and chest pad just simply because I needed something myself. And yeah. that was the first product I really went to market with. And then we started with gloves and then leg pads were the last thing we did. But uh, that was a long time ago, back in 1981. Yeah, that's, that's before me. <laughs> yeah. Before I too, I think. so. Way before Cal was even an idea. Um, now, Mike, you brought up the chest pad and everything, but how difficult was it to recreate when after you had the first one done and then you think, oh, I could probably take this to market or at least at, show this to a few guys and get some interest – how how were you able to recreate stuff without having, you know, like set patterns, a ton of machinery and stuff like that? Well, like um, the first about 150 uh, arm and chest pads I made were actually, I actually measured each individual. Really? And, you know, and that was a variety of ages and calibers of play and everything. And one of the things that was nice to do is, is I developed um, a, a sizing chart basically of you know, body proportions and how to match that up. And uh, after you start measuring a lot of people in a similar size, you find that there's a lot of commonality to sizing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that helped develop a lot of that sizing. But 
you know, right from the very start when I made stuff, you know, I'd make a pattern and then you would basically tailor it to each individual, you know, and then that's how you created you, you know, your smalls, your mediums, your larges, your extra larges were based off all that data. Yeah. And I, I learned a little bit about that when I was at Michigan State. I was in an incubator and we were working with some people that were building or they were, you know, trying to manufacture and create their own clothing line. Um, but me having no prior experience to anything like that in terms of the design side, I realized how important patterns are. Like, you know, you don't really think about it as a, a general consumer, but the amount of time that goes into, okay, like we have to create patterns so we have something to go back off so we can recreate or we can create several of these. So that I'm, that's pretty impressive to me when you were out measuring guys, but then eventually you kind of figure out, oh, like a lot of these guys share commonalities in terms of size and fit. So then you can kind of start going off like templates and, you know, the patterns that you did have. Yeah, the, it's um, there's one thing, I mean, it's really key, and it doesn't matter if you're making uh, clothing or hockey equipment or shoes. Um, every company sort of has their own scale. Um, all too often what I see a big mistake in the industry is somebody will create a size medium, then they go to expand it to a size large and they just increase it by a certain percentage or they say add one inch or take away one inch. But, um, people's, uh, perception of what, you know, like for example, the perception between a small and a medium is there's not that big of a size change. But there's a different perception between a medium and large what a size change is or a large to an extra large. And there's a lot of things by measuring people you find out like, um, for example, when you're two years old, your head is 80% grown. So like when you're making an arm and chest pad, the head opening for a youth unit has to proportionally be larger than for an adult unit. And so you just can't scale it and say, go up and down a percentage and have it fit properly. Mm -hmm. You actually need to tailor each size for that age group and physical body size to get proper scale. Hmm. So when you first started doing that, did you have a, a background in that area or was it a lot of trial and error to learn about all that? Um, a lot of it was uh, trial and error. I always had an interest in drafting. So you know, doing patterns and such was pretty easy for me. Um, but it's really finding out, you know, the scale you needed to use to build product in what size. You know, because like, uh, for example, um, everybody's probably seen the, um, the, the drawing that Leonardo da Vinci did of yep. the, the man, you know, in the circle. Um, if you research that a little bit, you'll actually find out that was... Um, basically a demonstration of body proportions, which is still all true today. Like, so a person's arm spread from fingertip to fingertip will equal their height. Um, there, there are certain biomechanical things within the human anatomy that repeat themselves like that. So a person of a certain height should have an arm span of a certain size. And then that's what you find too, as uh, younger kids, as they grow, if their arm span is all of a sudden bigger than their height, you know, their height is going to grow to catch up to it relatively quickly. Yeah. Hmm. You know, so there's That's a pretty, pretty decent correlation probably between a uh, arm and chest and leg pads. Then, Yeah, there is like, it is there, there's a big difference in like, say the, the girth or mass of people, you know, muscle structure and that. But when you're talking length, it's, um, 
you know, it's pretty proportionate, you know, a, a certain height is going to give you, you know, certain arm proportions, certain leg proportions in general. Definitely. Absolutely. So, Mike, you did bring up earlier that you've been doing this since about 81, and that was kind of, you know, you started out of the garage and you're getting going, you're doing about 150 chests to get going. As you kind of moved forward, where did you really, like, envision taking Vaughn? Did you see it coming to the scale where you're globally known as a company? Or did you think, well, I guess we can just make as many as we can for now and then move forward? You know, when you're young and caught up in um – the moment you're more working in your business than on your business. And, um, you know, the first few years, you know, you're just kind of, you know, taking the orders as they come and making it, you know, you're more involved in each and every sale, each and every piece that's manufactured. But, you know, after, you know, a few years doing that, you know, you start seeing, well, this is repeatable and this, the scale could be much bigger. And then you start thinking about working on your business instead of just in your business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a different uh, mindset when you're doing the two different things. Yeah. For sure. And now with where we're at today and we have some new product coming out, you know, where do you see things going in terms of the gear and the goaltending side? Um, well, goaltending is a lot more strategic than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the strategy behind, you know, any style that's used today is much better where years ago it was more of a reactive. Now it's a little more strategy, a little more, uh, you know, planned in what your, you know, your motions and your movement are and, you know, how you define your, your style. And because of that, the equipment's evolved and changed to allow that, you know, like um, you go back many years ago, a lot of goaltenders couldn't do a proper butterfly because they couldn't hold the pads onto the side edge because it took a lot of skill when we came, when we came out with a first velocity pad with the knee stacks and the knee lifters it all of a sudden took a skill that was very difficult to do and made it much easier to do and learn mm-hmm. and um so you're constantly trying to improve equipment to improve performance you know it's um there's a certain comfort level a certain control level that you need but anything that's really, really physically difficult to do, people don't tend to do well or want to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. So the, the better you can make equipment, the more successful you can make the player. You know, you give him better tools, he can do a better job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, I know the way we've always kind of talked about it is we adapt as a company, Vaughn, we adapt and develop as the goaltending position change. So like our new V9 chest, that was kind of designed more in thought with, well, one, the new you know regulations moving forward for arm and chest pads. But two, when you extended the belly wrap, we kind of focused on how much guys are going into post play. So we allowed for that. Now, when you guys look at the game, I know um, Brent and Ashley help out with the, des- the design a little bit. Do you guys kind of watch and look for what's going on in today's game? Or are you guys more taking ideas that you've already had and throwing them together and testing in R&D and that? Well, a lot of it is a mix of things. It's like um, the more you build of any one given thing, you've, you you kind of just naturally come up with better ideas on how to do it. Um, a lot of times, too, when you're looking at goalies, when you're looking at the just the very elite pro guys, they don't have the difficulty 
you know, making a particular move or protecting themselves in a certain way. It's uh, when you get a couple levels down, when you don't have the skill set and you see people trying to do something, you see them struggling. That's really a better indicator of where you need to focus your efforts on product. You know, like uh, a, a pro guy is post interaction is pretty clean, right? Um, but if you go down to say a high school level, the goalie's trying to do that, but he's not quite as good at it. So you need a little more wraparound protection, you know, um, you know, so you, you look at what's difficult to do or hard to do or trends that are up and coming, or if you design a product, it gives the the people the ability to do something they could never do before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know just from being on the end, obviously, and a lot of people do, I found out in Boston is Andy was one of the first, Andy Moog was one of your first guys in the NHL, correct? Yeah, he was one of the first guys to use our stuff in the NHL. How did you, uh, how'd you meet Andy? Um, I met Andy through friends that I made. Actually, um, a friend of mine, Doug Cole, was playing at uh, River Falls, Wisconsin that I had met. No way. And, uh, and Doug was from a town in uh, Western Canada, Penticton, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And uh, Andy was from that same town. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you go back that many years and it's still a lot of friendships you still have, you know, with people. So the hockey community has been pretty great that way. Yeah, that's the best part of being a part of this game is everyone that, you know, like our listeners know, once you're in it, you're in it. And no matter where you're at or what team you're on or where you're at a rink, I'm sure if you ask somebody, they're going to know somebody from your inner circle or who you've played with or somebody you've met or dealt with before, you know, a coach or whatever. Um, but, yeah, we were, we were talking to Dom uh, last week or a week, the week before about masks, and, you know, Andy was one of his first guys too. So I think it's pretty funny that he was, uh, you know, a big Vaughn guy from the start. Um, when you were – building stuff for him though were you going to see him and spec him out or how did you guys come together to make that gear um some of the first uh gear that we made for andy you know i hadn't met him yet mm -hmm. um it was just you know orders had been passed through to us but you know as time went on you know i i used to do you know everett a lot like what you do go out and call on uh, players but it was much different back then too than it is today but you know, so I used to spend quite a bit of time doing that. Man, for the listeners, could you guys just imagine, or even Kyle, like you're going to get geared up and Mike Vaughn comes to see you to build you the Vaughn gear? How wild would that be? Yeah, it's a little celebrity appearance there. <laughs> I think you should, you should, uh, that should be like uh, some, some content right there. Have Mike go in for a few pro uh, sizing fittings or something like that and See if see if players freak out. Maybe we'll get uh, we'll get Mike to do the NHL measuring, so that way we can find out who's cheating and who's not. <laughs> so um, when you when you first started up, did you have kind of like a an Apple story almost, where you start up in a garage and you're making pads out of your house, and then eventually progressed into the the factory? Now, yeah, I mean that's basically what it was, and um, you know. When I started doing this, I didn't have any background in it. So I didn't have any preconceived notions about how things should be done. So everything we did in manufacturing was kind of a clean slate look at what's the most common sense way to do this. Where, 
you know, most of the other companies, you know, it's somebody who had worked at another company, go start another company, and then they make this stuff the same way or the same version. Um, so, you know, it, it just gave us a, a new refreshing look at everything, you know, from materials to designs to, you know, execution and manufacturing techniques. And, you know, so, you know, it, it was, it was a difficult way to do it, but, um, in the end, it was a better way to do it. It provides for more innovation when you can uh, work from scratch rather than preconceived notions. Well, you have a, you have a clear mind and then your ideas can float freely, right? Like you're not fixated on this is the way it's got to be, or this is what I know. So I can't abandon that because people get pretty attached to familiarity, right? Well, they get attached that way, you know, how they've always done it in the past or because we have this machinery or that machinery or, you know, so we want to do this in this method or we're already using this material on that product. So we're just going to use it on goalie equipment as well. You know, where we didn't go in with any of that. It's like, okay, we're picking our material solely based on making goalie equipment. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, using our machinery and methods solely based on making goalie equipment, not based on we're making other things as well. Yeah. I mean, it's strictly when we walk into the room, we're making sure our, our attendees are taken care of head to toe. Um, now with the graph skate, especially. Um, yeah. Now, Mike, you know, moving forward, do you guys have anything in the works that uh, is kind of exciting that you're getting pumped up about? Um, yeah, I mean, we've been working on, you know, the SLR3 product and getting a lot of that finalized. Um, unfortunately, with this whole, you know, COVID virus going around, it's kind of put some dampers on that right now because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can't run our factories right now. Yep. You know, so that means we can't do prototypes. We can't do testing. We can't do a lot of things we normally would be doing right now. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, this, this whole thing is, uh, like I said, it's, it, it's really thrown a bottleneck, you know, into, uh, the way we run our business and our normal timelines. For sure. Um, but yeah, it sounds like that'll be pretty exciting for people to see because I know the SLR has done so well. Um, and it's just been a huge hit with all those goalies. And I think taking a modern day spin on what that pad is kind of really changed the way a lot of guys play and the way they see us as a, as a brand. Um, now, uh, looking at some of the things that we have out now between the V9 and the quick slide, where did you come up with uh, that quick slide material? Or like what inspired that? Um, you know, more and more as time goes on, the goaltenders spend more time positioned on the ice. I, I mean, um, a lot of goalies, their base move is to go down in their butterfly before they even react to the puck. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, you cause a lot of wear to the inside edge of equipment. Um, but as equipment gets older, or the ice gets chewed up or whatever, you know, you get more friction in your movement, which slows you down. And um, the quick slide, it's actually three things. Um, the first, the, the base material that we use on our synthetic leather is a true microfiber. Okay. And, it, and it's thicker. We use a 1.4 millimeter, where most of the industry uses a 1 or a 1.1 millimeter thickness. Ah, I see. The, thic yeah. the thicker material's stronger, 
you know, physically from a, you know, wear and tear resistance, but it's also gives you a flatter surface. So it slides more true. Um, and even years ago when we developed the finish or the grain that's embossed into the Clarino, mm -hmm. it's, it's a smaller hair grain. Like if you look at our product, yeah. um, so the grain isn't as deep because when you make the grain deeper, it'll hold more snow. And if the product's holding snow, it doesn't slide on the ice as well. Yeah. And then that the, friction you're getting yeah. rid of right there. Yeah. And then we also have, you know, the weave finish that we've done for years. And um, the weave finish always, um, they would spray it with a clear uh, finish to make the weave pop a little bit more. And initially when you got on the ice, the, the weave would slide just a little bit better than the regular material because of the finish. But that finish would smooth off real quick and then it would, you know, then it wouldn't have any advantage. So when we developed this, um, the quick slide material, it's a different weave. It's a larger weave pattern in there, which provides less grooves. So there's less grain for friction. Yep. Um, but the real key to that is it actually has a clear finish over the top of it. That's a, it's permanently part of the material. We call it a mirror finish. Okay. And and that finish is actually the real key to that product sliding as well as it does. Yeah. So yeah. where do you obviously that's a, a newer type of what would, what would you say a newer material? Material in in the market, you know, you guys found that. Where where do you see the goalie pad going in 10 years? What, you know, what's your vision of that? Floating pads. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, helium filled, right? Um, <laughs> you, you go through and hockey is a rather small industry, you, you know, in the of things. Um, it's a small participant sport compared to other sports. Um, the companies that develop all these materials aren't specifically going to go out and spend the money to develop a, a material for ice hockey. Okay, yep. so you have to try to find companies like we had one of the foam vendors that we worked with this year that uh, they developed um you know everett it's that what that hd carbon foam oh yeah that we use and uh basically what they did is they use a little bit of carbon in the mix of foam to stiffen it up mm -hmm. um but you you have to find companies that are willing to do smaller runs and experiment for you um the you know the finish, for example, on the uh, the mirror finish on the the quick slide. That was something that you know the company that makes the synthetic had worked on before for another industry that never used it. And then we we got a sample of it, and then we had them tweak it just a little bit, you know, to suit our needs better. You know, basically they just had to improve the formulation to make it more uh, wear resistant. Yeah, you know. And so that, that that's worked out really, really well. And a lot of the materials we make, like if you look at like all our uh, Clarino synthetics, if you look at all of our colors, like we order enough of that where we can have it made to our spec and our color. So we get to pick our thickness. We get to pick the base cloth. We get to pick the color and the finish and everything where a lot of companies are just buying what's kind of stock available that's made for like the shoe or furniture industry. You know, so their whites aren't real white. It's more of a yellow white, you know, and a few things like that that you see, you know. So, 
you know, I mean, your quality starts with the, the material you start with. So we're kind of picky about that. Yeah, 100%. Um, now, Mike, you know, you've been in this industry for so, so long. You've worked with a hand, you know, a ton of goalies. Um, you've met a lot of people that have run stores. What uh, What's one of the favorite stories or goalies you've ever dealt with? Well, it, it changes all the time, you know, because the people at the stores change. And um, so it's hard to say a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because well, like. What a, about a, maybe a goalie so that way we don't have to sewer any stores? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite goalie that you've ever dealt with or remember dealing with or uh, built stuff for? Um, I tell you, there's some guys that it stands out more to me because, you know, I was younger traveling around and meeting these guys. Um, you know, guys like Andy Moog, um, you know, like a Grant Fuhrer, um, you know, some of the guys like that, like, um, you know, there were such competitors, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you would see, you know, and, you know, like I said, those are more guys from my era, like a Glenn Hanlon was, oh, yeah. he was just, he was just a great person to deal with. Yep. Um, even there's some guys that never wore a product, but like a Rob Tallis, who's just, you know, didn't know him real well, but anytime you'd see him, he was just a great person to deal with, you know, and just a good you know, human all around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, it used to be a much, much smaller community than it is now. You had less teams, you had less players, you had less minor leagues. Um, you know, so you, you got to know people a little bit more. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was just having that tight knit group and being able to, you know, really service guys and see them all the time really helps. Then you get yeah. more and more of a deeper relationship with them. And even if they don't wear the stuff, just getting to see them in the rooms and you know, being able to say, "Hey, and how's this? How's the season been? And you know, what do you got planned for the summer?" Really, really helps. So when you were meeting with those guys, were you kind of a fan at that point, or was it just all business? You know, your main focus was the gear when you went into it. Well, my main focus was always the gear, but I mean, you know, you're still always a hockey fan too, you know, but that takes a back seat to what you're trying to accomplish, you know, and, um, you know, I say it's, it, it was much different back then. There was a lot less salespeople in the hockey industry years ago. Yeah. And it was, a, a closer, smaller group of people and, you know, you, you had a little different access to the locker rooms and the players and, you know, like, like, for example, you would go in the summertime to a lot of the hockey camps and a lot of the NHL guys taught hockey camps in the summer. Yep. You know, and um, that's just what they did. And you don't see as much of that now. Um, yeah. Now when they're, when they're making 10 mil, they don't need the summer money, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it is to the, you know, the season's long, the travel's more, there's more teams. Um, and I think it wears the guys down a little bit more. So when they do get downtime in the summer, they, they want it to be downtime, you know? Yeah. For sure. yeah. Got to rest up, right? Rest the body. Everyone's talking about load management now. So like we, we don't want to work too hard. Don't want to, don't want to tire my guys out. So, well, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I think the days of trying to have um, a starting goalie play, you know, you know, 68 games in a row are over because there, there's been a lot of careers killed by overplaying guys. Yep. And, um, 
you know, you're you're smart now if you don't play your starting goalie on back-to-back nights, especially on the road. Um, you're 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 using your assets a lot better if your your backup can play you 30, 35 games if you need to. Uh, you know, it's it's a long season, and guys are trying to get the most out of their career. And you know, the way goaltending is played today, I think you know, especially with a lot of the taller guys with so much you know, weight and body mass, that's mm-hmm. the movement's hard on the body. Yeah. So having a few days off here and there is important to make it through the season healthy. Do you have a favorite goalie right now? Um, you know, one of the guys I just always enjoy watching play is Tuka Rask. Yeah. He never seems to play bad. Like he's just really, really consistent and has played at a very, very high level for, a long, long time. I think one of the one of the true marks of the really great players is even when they're not having their best game, it's still a pretty good game. Yeah. You know, they yeah, you know, everybody has that game where they go out and everything just falls into place and you feel like a million bucks and you know, you could stop anything. But it, it's the the players who learn how to even have their off night still have a pretty good performance. Those are the guys who just, you know, they're solid. I mean, they they just go out there and play a solid, solid game. Yeah, even when they may, you know, not be feeling like the puck's hitting them every which way, but uh, they know how to grind through and still get it done, you know, look like they know what they're doing. That's that's all it is. We're just fooling them, (laughs) right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And some of these guys are such great competitors. Like, I remember um, Bill Ranford, you know, going back a number of years when he was still playing. I remember watching a practice, and I don't think he let a puck in the entire practice. I mean, he played as hard in practice as he would in a game. That's too funny. We just had I mean, uh, we had Cal Peterson on the other day, and he was talking about uh, he saw Billy Skate, and he said he, he looked pretty good. He looked like he could get yeah. back out there and do it again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, he he was a a great competitor, or like you know, like a guy like Ed Belfour. I, I don't think. You know, there's been some, you know, odd things, I guess, over the years. But he was such a competitor. Yeah. You know, you just had to respect how hard he played the game, you know. That's what sets those guys apart, though. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. uh, I wanted to say thanks, Mike, for taking the time here to chat with us. And, uh, I, you know, every time I talk to you, I I get to learn a lot. Kyle, what do you think? Oh yeah, I mean it was it was great having you on. I remember uh, last time I was out in Michigan, I I think I stopped by the factory, and the one cool thing I saw that to me really sets Vaughn apart is how much time and thought goes into to making the new gear. I think uh, you were working on some new products at the time yourself, which you know none of these bigger companies they're they're not doing that much. Um, they don't put in the time and effort, and obviously that that end product at the end of the day that Vaughn puts out is um, one of the best out there. So it's, it's always cool to talk to the guy uh, behind all those ideas. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, it's still something I enjoy doing. It's still a passion and uh, still have a lot of fun at it. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's uh, what's the quote. If you, if you do something you love, you don't work a day in your life. So hopefully. wow. What wisdom Kyle. Yeah. That was good. Uh, that was good. 
But yeah, thank All you right. so much, Mike, for the time. Um, and we'll talk to you shortly. And hopefully, you know, we'll get this uh, COVID nineteen thing wrapped up, and we'll be back yeah. at it for the uh, for the goalies out there. Thank you, All Mike. Right. Well, everybody, stay safe. And thank you so much, Michael, for the uh, time. And anybody uh, has questions, send us the comments and the DMs, and we'll get those answered. But uh, until next time, Kyle, stay clean. Yeah, you too. <laughs> All right, Kyle. We'll see ya. See ya.